All right, you guys. So I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to grab uh, something to drink, something to eat. Um, I finally got wise and grabbed a chunk of bread because when you're the one leading, it's noisy to have uh, somebody crunching away here. So anyway, um, I, I felt this morning, uh, mostly I'm going to use the words of other people as, as we gather to remember and to remember the goodness of God in Christ and our belonging and the way that um, communion just reminds us to that we that we all belong to one another, we're connected to one another. And something about this week, this week I I was remembering. I don't know if you remember when uh, Nicole Forbes um, led communion for us uh, a year or so ago, and she talked about Indigenous water rights and. There are so many, you know, we, we, we do land acknowledgements with it, which I think is really important, but something that I wanted to remember this morning, and I've got just water as my drink to just, to remember the many indigenous communities in Canada that are living with boil water advisories. They don't have access to clean water and, and that we would remember them and remember to ask for us to do better as a, as a country to, extend the table that everybody might have clean water. So that's why I'm using water this morning. And uh, in, and then, so with that, um, I just want to invite us to... Um, Caring for others. Oh, remember Another. the... Um, sorry, I'm tongue-tied in this moment, that we would remember those who have been excluded from the table in various ways, and that we would um, remember our connection to one another, we would remember our connection to the land, we would remember that Jesus invited us to be broken for one another, um, and that it's in the breaking that we make room for more. So uh, I invite you to take your, your bread, your water, your wine, your juice, whatever you've got. And God, I thank you for how you showed us what you were like through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we partake together, I want to read, uh, And the Table Will Be Wide by Jan Richardson. So feel free to partake together. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will be open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust there is enough, and we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine, and we will open our hands to the feast without shame and we will turn towards each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair and we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink 
for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing and everywhere will be a feast. Amen. Okay. I'm doing the uh, Lectio Divina today from Psalm 133, and I'm going to use the NLT. Um, I'll be reading it three times. Perhaps the first time we can just take in the psalm and see which verse stands out to us. And then I'll tell you about the second time when we get there. So Psalm 133 is a psalm for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. The Psalm of David. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together, brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. In the next reading, I'm wondering if you might think of the verse that stood out to you and maybe find a few words in that verse that are meaningful for you. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion and there the Lord was pronounced, has pronounced his blessings, even life everlasting. In this last reading, if you could take note of the words that have stood out to you. And maybe listen for the spirit's voice as to how that applies to you today. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Sarah will be giving us a message today, and I'm just going to take a moment to pray for her. God, we pray for Sarah today. 
Lord, that in all of her devotion towards this message this week, you would help her to focus on the things that were in the forefront of her mind. And God, I pray for each one of us that are listening today that we would hear what you want us to hear. That it would move us and direct us towards change. Be with us all this morning. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see all your faces. Uh, Lando is going to read the passage for us this morning. So Lando, you want to go ahead and read that first and then I'll... John 20, 19 to 30. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other, mirac Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are right, written that you may believe and that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much. So this Sunday, um, there's a couple of things going on. There's, you know, um, you've heard the uh, the FOGO, FOMO. You've probably had FOMO, fear of missing out. I think Thomas had that. But I think the other disciples had FOGO. I had fear of going out. Like the doors were locked, but Thomas was missing. So this Sunday is dedicated to the missing, to the questioners and to those who dislike more than somebody else's word for it. It's dedicated to the prophets, to the brave, to the bold, basically anybody who is Thomas. In the churches that use the lectionary passage, the passage that Lando just read us is used every first Sunday after Easter. The lectionary is on this three-year cycle, and every year there's different stories for each, each week of the year. This one, though, is always Thomas' story. The compilers of that plan clearly wanted us to know this particular story, and so here we are again. And Thomas is missing. Thomas gets attention in this story because Jesus addresses him directly. But I, I wonder if a week after their first encounter with the risen Jesus, that the others weren't also starting to doubt a little. I mean, they hadn't seen him for a week and the doors were still locked. They were still scared. They still had fogo. Anyway, back to Thomas. 
This passage is not actually the only time that we encounter Thomas the twin in the book of John, but it's the one that he's remembered for. This is the one that gives him the uh, often given like unfriendly doubting Thomas, like it's not given as a compliment, it's given as a kind of a slur against him. So I want to talk about some of the other facets that are easy to overlook that might help us see that Thomas is not two-dimensional, uh, but actually multifaceted, and then apply that to us too. Like us, Thomas is a whole person, and we too are whole people. We are not two-dimensional moving objects, although looking at you now, actually we pretty much are two-dimensional moving objects, but really we are whole people. Um, we are multifaceted, more like diamonds than flat images. And we are not only the labels that we use to define ourselves or the labels that others have given us, like Thomas has been given doubting as a label. So I'm just wondering, is there any label that comes to mind for you? Any label that you've given yourself? And that could be a label that you perceive as positive or negative. Um, or are there ways that you are known by others? Ways that are frequently brought up to you or about you? Do you have labels either put on you by others or that you've clothed yourself in? Are there labels that you own or you're proud of? And but what of others that you'd rather not have or any that you'd actually like to grow out of? What about Enneagram numbers? Like we can label ourselves with those. Think of ourselves very two-dimensionally rather than as a whole. Or other personality test results. What about star signs or the introvert, extrovert? binary thing that we pull up. I don't know, there are lots of ways that we label each other and we label ourselves. So just um, just have a think about that for a second. Maybe if you, you want to write it in the chat, go ahead and do so. That's really owning up to that label. But uh, if you don't want to write it, fine, that's fine. Don't do it. So Thomas is given the label doubting. Now I've always read that and perceived it as a negative trait. I don't know whether you've perceived it as a negative or a positive but it's something worth thinking about as we head into this encounter with Jesus. Thomas is called Didymus, which means the twin. And he wasn't present with the others the first time that Jesus appeared to his followers after the resurrection. And the question I have is, well, why not? Where was he? How come he wasn't behind locked doors with the others? It has been said that Thomas was doubting already and that's why he wasn't with them, but I don't think I buy that because he was back there with them later in the day. So that's not it. If that's not it, then what else might it be? Perhaps he's like um, Katniss Everdeen in the Hunger Games and he's volunteered as tribute to go out on an errand when everybody else was too scared to go anywhere. Maybe he's gone out for pizza. I don't know. Um, the rest of them are a little bit scared, locked doors, but maybe Thomas isn't. <clears throat> Perhaps Thomas doesn't have fear of going out. Perhaps, this one occurred to me this week, perhaps he's following the pattern that he saw in Jesus. Maybe, you know, when he saw Jesus in moments of stress or decision-making or just needing time with his father, that Jesus went off by himself to a lonely place and prayed. Maybe Thomas has done that. Maybe Thomas has gone off by himself to pray. We don't. It doesn't say. But it does say that he wasn't there. So let's not get stuck on finding a reason for why he's not there, but just acknowledge that he is missing. If you jump right now to gallery view, have a look around. Who is missing? 
Who are you missing in our church community? And then think about your family or your friends or your colleagues or your school buddies. Who is missing? It might be literally from this gathering right now. It may be physically. I mean, we're all a bit missing physically. With you know, We can't be close to each other. Um, but it might be emotionally or mentally because there are multiple ways that we can be missing. Who are you missing? Or maybe, maybe you feel like you're the one who's missing. And I have a challenge this week. My challenge this week is to go after them. Make contact, reach out and connect somehow. Remind whoever it is that you are missing that they are known and they are remembered and they are loved, even though it's in a distance right now. Set yourself a calendar reminder to contact whoever it is. I know if I don't do that, it just passes me by like all good ideas that go the way of things that aren't acted on. So quickly, make yourself a note, Tuesday, contact that person I'm missing. Even if that's yourself. Contact that person I'm missing. So back to Thomas and Jesus. The thing I love about this story when we think of the question who is missing is that we might think that if we're missing if we're if we're the ones that are missing that we blew it that we weren't there that we missed the occasion it's like oh well that came and went and i wasn't there and we can kind of beat ourselves up over missing the moment and i wonder if thomas spent the whole week kicking himself for being wherever it was that he was when jesus appeared for the first time and I wonder if the others spent the whole week just kind of sort of basking in the glow of this experience they'd had with Jesus, rubbing Thomas with faith in it. And Thomas spent the whole week just feeling crap because he'd missed out. But then here comes mercy. Here comes love in the person of Jesus. The next week, Jesus was there in the room with them all again. And the happy conclusion to this story for Thomas is that he does get his time to see Jesus. The sad part is that he had the agony of a week to wait for it. I think the saddest thing of all is that thing that we've picked up and we've called him Doubt and Thomas. And I want us to see that that's not all Thomas was, but also hear me clearly. I'm not saying that doubting is a bad thing. I think doubting is okay. But we'll come back to that. Jesus, uh, uh, John's gospel mentions Thomas the twin a few times before this event. So let's just flesh him out a little bit. The Bible never tells us who his twin is. There are thoughts that maybe he looked a lot like Jesus. So that was why he was called Thomas the twin. Maybe he didn't actually have a twin, but just looked like Jesus. Um, maybe he had an actual twin, but we don't know who that was. So that leaves a gap. Maybe it leaves a gap for us to stand next to him in this experience. Because don't we, you know, if we're honest, want to look a little like Jesus too. So, okay, back to Thomas. The other Gospels, apart from counting him among the twelve, don't mention him at all. But John gives us a few events and conversations that he features in. But I suppose the first label that Thomas gets is chosen, because he is one of the twelve. He's chosen by Jesus. And then after a, a ridiculously short training experience, Jesus sends the twelve out to go and preach the Gospel and heal the sick. And Thomas then receives the label sent. So, so far he's chosen and he's sent. And I'd be pretty happy with those labels. I'm good with that. Chosen and sent, that'll do nicely. So um, let's just have a look at where, Tom, where John slips Thomas into the story of Jesus. The first is in chapter 11. Let me tell you what's going on. 
Uh, Lazarus is dying. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus to come quickly, but Jesus hangs about for a few days. And then he tells his disciples this, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Always they kind of slightly missed the point. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. And that's when Thomas, the one called twin, said to his companions, come on, we might as well die with him. That is not a doubting person. Thomas has no doubt in that conversation. He is Thomas the encourager, saying, come on, to his buddies. He's Thomas the leader, saying, let's go with him. He is Thomas the loyal and the brave. We might as well die with him. And he's Thomas the prophet, pointing to the martyr's death that he and the others in the group would receive. N.T. Wright describes Thomas like this. Thomas is loyal, dogged, slow to understand things, but determined to go on putting one foot in front of the other at Jesus's command. I love that. There had to be twins with Thomas in that description. Loyal, dogged, maybe slow to understand things, but determined to go on putting one foot in front of another at Jesus's command. So already Thomas has more facets. He is sent, he is chosen. He is a leader, he is loyal, he is brave, he's encouraging, he's prophetic. Much more than doubting, right? The next time that John mentions Thomas is at the Passover feast in the last week before his death and resurrection. Jesus knew that his time was getting to its climax and he showed his love to his friends in the act of washing their feet before the meal. Then he indicates that one of them will betray him and Judas leaves the table. Jesus talks to them all about loving one another and Simon Peter asks where Jesus is going and he baffles them all with what will happen. Like they're, they're all like, I have no idea what he's saying. Anyone, anyone, nobody has a clue. Um, and seeing their confusion, Jesus says to them, don't let this rattle you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. You already know the road that I'm taking. Here comes Thomas. Thomas said, Master, we have no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road? And then Jesus said, I am the road, also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You, you've even seen him. So this is Thomas the curious. This is Thomas the inquisitive. This is Thomas the I'm not afraid to look a bit foolish while I ask my question. Thomas. And in response to Thomas's question, Jesus gives him one of his fabulous I am statements, which to any Jew is, uh, Jew is the expression that God uses for God's self. I am. Jesus responds, I am the way, also the truth, also the life. So if we can try and think of Thomas not as a flat piece of paper, not just as doubting, not even as a moving video, like Harry Potter where photos move around, not even like that, but actually as a real human in all his fleshly wonderfulness. What if Thomas the twin is not like a 2D image or a 3D render, but more like a multifaceted diamond, a treasure, 
And what if we looked at ourselves like that too? What if that label that you wear is only one of many? What if you are multifaceted? That the one thing that you thought of at the start doesn't wholly define you, but is only a part of the picture. There is hope in that, right? There is hope for growth for all of us. And Jesus is okay with our questions. Because it wasn't so much that Thomas had doubts. It was more like he had conditions. It was more like he said, I, I need it to look like this, otherwise I am not going to get it. But Thomas said, I need to see for myself. I need to touch him. He said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. It is hard to believe that someone else has died unless you see it for yourself. It's really tricky. My mom died when I was 12. And I secretly thought for years that she wasn't dead, that it had all been like a fake thing and that she was maybe really sick somewhere, which is why she hadn't come back. But, um, but still, I thought she wasn't actually dead. Like, that's a weird thing that your brain does. And also, you know, drama of teenagers. Like, like I think it's because I'd never, I'd never seen her body for myself. And not seeing makes it really hard to believe. How much harder to believe, like imagine a picture yourself as Thomas, how much harder to believe that someone whom you love has died and risen from the dead again. Like it's one thing to get your head around the fact that somebody's died, but to get around, get your head around the fact that somebody died and rose from the dead, like that's like, no wonder he wanted to see it for himself. And then Jesus, like he wasn't there when Thomas said those things but he knew that Thomas needed to see his wounds and touch them to really know it. I still get that. And then Jesus comes. His words are not scolding. There is no disappointment. He doesn't say, oh, come on, Thomas, you have little faith. Like, but he said that to them a bunch of times, but he doesn't say it right now. He doesn't say, come on, Thomas. You couldn't take someone else's word for it. His first words were, peace to you. Thomas had conditions to throwing his all in with Jesus. Do you? Do you have conditions that you want met before you believe the next thing that God is showing you or that you are learning? You just want a little proof. Maybe we are twins to Thomas. If you're struggling to believe, and if you have conditions that you want met, if you have questions, it's okay. Jesus is okay with it. And his first words to you, as they were to Thomas and to all of the others, is peace to you. But then Thomas gets the gift of reassurance and Jesus meets his conditions. Jesus turned to Thomas and said, take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Like Brad said last week, our risen saviour has scars. Thomas then expresses belief big time. That was all that he needed, it seems. And his instant response is to proclaim my master and my God. Thomas right then pronounces Jesus human and divine. And that is as believing as it gets. Doubting Thomas? I don't think so. And Jesus tells him, good for you, Thomas. You believe because you see. He saw, he experienced, he touched, he proclaimed it, and then he got on with it. Tradition has it that Thomas took the message of the good news of Jesus all the way to India. There are rumors he even went to China before he died back in India. That is not the action of someone who doubted. That is the action of someone who had thrown his lot in. 
This is the chosen, the sent, the bold, and the brave, Thomas. This is the delivering the good news because I've seen it for myself and out there doing the stuff, Thomas. This is the man with dogged determination to follow Jesus even when he didn't understand everything, Thomas. And then Jesus then turns to us. Picture yourself standing next to Thomas. If we call ourselves Thomas's friend. He looks and he speaks to everyone who will come after his ascension. Those of us who don't get the privilege of putting our hands in the side of Jesus. All of us who don't get to put our fingers on the scars in his hands like Thomas did. Well, maybe not physically anyway. And Jesus says to us, even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. That's for us. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is given to us. And we are okay to ask the questions. When we're asking questions, we are on the right track. If Thomas hadn't asked questions, if he hadn't decided that he needed evidence to believe it for himself, he might have just drifted back home. He might have just given up altogether and not been there when Jesus appeared the next time either. Setting out his conditions for believing is an okay thing to do. So for us, setting out our conditions for believing is an okay thing to do. God is no way intimidated or threatened by it. You've probably heard this story before, but I told God uh, when I decided I was going to be all in, that I told him that I needed perfect tennis weather for every match day for a whole season in England. And if you've been to, if you've been to England in the summer, you'll know that's a big ask. Um, but I needed that. That was my condition in order to throw my lot in with him. And God did it. Amazingly, considering the English weather, he did it. Um, uh, one of Brian Dirksen's songs was chosen for us today by Lando and Kathy. And the first verse says, if Jesus is the face of God, we have seen the face of love. And looking in the face of love, we know that God believes in us. So Thomas looked in the face of love the face of God, and Jesus believed in Thomas. He believed in Thomas enough to meet his conditions for believing and give him the gift of presence that he needed. And I think that Jesus looks at us in the same way. He asks us, what do you need? Jesus wasn't in the room when Thomas told the others that he didn't believe them and wanted evidence for himself before he would believe. And Jesus, although not there, knew that Thomas needed a physical touch type of proof. And so he came and met Thomas's need. So just look in the face of Jesus right now. He believes in you. So what do you need? Do you need a new label? Do you need to add something to your list of who you are? I have next to my computer here a list of words that are reminders of things that I want to be rather than things that I want to do. I'm going to have a ton of sticky notes of things I need to do, but I have this list actually, of things that I want to be. This is my to be list. I want to be real, hopeful, curious, and solid, by which I mean dependable. I want to be accepting and I want to be loving. So is there something from Thomas the twin and his journey with Jesus that you want to take as your own too? He was chosen. He was sent. He was encouraging, he was a leader, he was loyal, he was brave, he was prophetic, he was inquisitive, he was curious, not afraid to ask the awkward questions, he was honest and straightforward and asked for what he needed. 
and he met with Jesus. And Jesus met him where he was at. And we can do that too. Jesus wants to meet us where we are at, with all of our questions and conditions and everything else. So let's pray. Jesus, we come before you like Thomas, with our curiosity and with our conditions. Would you meet us where we are at? Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave Thomas out of the loop after the others had had their time with you, but that you came and invited him in as well, and he got to experience your risen presence as they had. Would you come meet with us? I think about my friends and my family who feel like they've missed out on something too, or are struggling to believe what I tell them of my experience with you. And I ask that you would meet with them in whatever way that they need. Jesus, you didn't hold Thomas's questions against him but you embraced him. Embrace us and all our questions too. Just fill in the gap right now. My biggest question right now, Jesus, is... Lead us into life today, for you reign by the Son and Holy Spirit in the glory and the power that is love forever and ever. Amen. Um.